friends. Uh, today, I had the chance to sit down with one of my best friends from a long time ago. Uh, we spent a lot of time together during our youth doing all the crazy things that popped up in our heads. Uh, there's a bunch of funny stories during the first half of the episode, and then we transitioned into some heavy stuff for the second part. Um, all of this really got me thinking. Um, life is so short, and you only get so much time to hang out with all of those that you love. You know, I have three beautiful little babies, and I tell them as often as I can, we all make mistakes, and that's okay. Uh, a mistake is not a bad thing if you learn from it and change yourself. Um, everyone has their baggage, and most of us push it onto some sort of addiction to, to get us through. Um, but that light at the end of the tunnel comes when we humble ourselves and admit defeat. We can't do it alone. And there's no shame in reaching out to those around us as they can offer us love, forgiveness, and support. We're all just humans trying to get through this thing and figure it out. Um, with all that in mind, I want to say thank you to my friend for coming on today and sharing his amazing story of recovery and redemption. I love this guy, and I'm so grateful to know him. Here he is, Shane Irvin. Shane Irvin. Dude, I haven't seen you at least eight years, maybe Ooh. ten. Yeah, I think like 2011, man. Yeah, I mean, you were down here for a while, and then you headed back to the dirty. I yeah. 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 And you're still there, right? I'm still there, man. Yeah. Yeah. Living the dream, dude. And how are you liking it? You know, the the dirty depths of the Dow's is a is a pretty good place to live when you're grown up. Yeah. I remember being a little kid thinking I can't wait to get out of this place, but now I love it. You know, so. Yeah, I was thinking about that too, because like when we were kids, it, it didn't seem like we had that much to do. You know, there, there wasn't, uh, there are no amusement parks. There's no, I mean, we had the skate park, but beyond that, you could go hang out in the river. Uh, there just, it didn't seem like there was a ton for us to do. And I, just like you said, I just wanted to get out the whole time, but it seems like a cool place for, for older people, you know? Once, yeah. you, once you get established and you're not worried about um, being in school anymore. Once you have toys to play with. Yeah. You know, we, we have everything. We have the mountain. We have the river. We have, you know, we have all kinds of stuff that uh, you just take for granted when you're young. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. You think you're going to stay there for a while? I do. You know, all, all my family's out there. My mm -hmm. brother lives out in the, in the sticks, you know, out towards Dufer. My dad's out uh, Mount Hood Street. And then, you know, of course, my daughter, she's uh, pretty well established in the Dows and um, we're all close. Mm -hmm. You know, we're all Oregonians. So I think uh, moving away would is, is not even in the cards right now, you know. Well, yeah. And tell me about what you do. You're 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 working on windmills. I am. I'm a wind turbine technician. And so do you do you actually build them or you just go and fix them when they're broken? We're we're strictly a maintenance operation. So we maintain them. We go through the maintenance cycles and then uh, we repair them when they when they break down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little we're cowboys out there, man. <laughs> you know the crazy thing is, uh, I'm close with that with all of them. Mm -hmm. You know, some genuine gentlemen out there, man, and and we get the job done. But we have a good time with it. You know, it's not. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's really good gig. They treat us well. Yeah, and it pays pretty well too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're we're uh, you know the pay scale. Climbs over time, but you know they they started me out at like twenty six, mm -hmm. which was pretty good. You know, I I was 
used to like twenty twenty dollar an hour jobs and and uh, they put they they put me up to like thirty. I make thirty now, and then mm-hmm. we get uh, a percentage match in the four hundred one k. So when everything's said and done, they match six percent, and then they give us an additional five and a half. So we're we're pulling in, uh, you know, about seventeen percent four hundred one k. One hundred percent benefits paid for the family. That's cool. So vacation six weeks a year. Six weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa, dude. Yeah, with an option to buy as well, so you can buy up to a week and you just pay into it every paycheck. You can buy more time off. You can buy more time off. What can you buy six months off? Just one week. Just one week. One week's the max. But six weeks starting, or that that built up over time. That's no, that's starting. However, that that includes. Um, some holidays that they took away, mm-hmm. and uh, it includes sick time. Yeah. So it's kind of incorporated in that whole thing. Mm-hmm. So if you don't get sick, you got a kick-ass vacation every year. You yeah. know what I mean? So we've been doing... Uh, I, I joined a, a group of uh, dudes that, that uh, we all rode, ride motorcycles. Mm-hmm. And so once a year, we take a trip. Last year, we went to, to uh, Glacier Park in Montana. Mm-hmm. And then the year before that, we went to Reno. And next month, we'll be going to uh, the Redwoods mm-hmm. and staying in, in uh, the Redwoods for a couple of days. Nice. So, you're talking about street bikes, motorcycles. Yeah, Harley Davidson. Yeah, baby. is you have a Harley? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I started on a Sportster. Just uh, it's pretty much a girl bike. Yeah. But, but uh, and then I went to like a deluxe, which is pretty much like a bull dike bike. Mm-hmm. And then I now I'm on a I got a Dyna little Dyna lowrider that's nice. more my style. Nice. But yeah, when when I was uh texting with you asking you if you wanted to come down and you're like, "Oh, blah blah blah, I'll ride my bike." I hadn't seen you in so long. I didn't know if you're like super into like riding bicycles on the mountain. That DUI 11 years ago <laughs> fucked me up, man. Now I'm on bicycles. <laughs> no, I ride a bicycle too. Yeah. Just around town, man. I got a little mm-hmm. beach cruiser. Nice. And uh, there was a there was a period of time where I was riding that all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, just uh, now now in the Dalles, they have a cement path all the way from the the Dalles Bridge, pretty much, mm-hmm. and then all the way to the Discovery Center. So you got you know nine miles of of uh, riverfront. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can just yeah, dude. They have done. I don't go there that often anymore because my parents moved, but um, they have done a ton of work out there. And most of it's because of Google, right? Uh, you know, I don't know if, if that's where the beef of the money came from, but I know they played a part. But they also they also played a part of people coming into the Dallas. So before it was like ghost town, dude. Like mm. all the the stores storefronts in the downtown, the Dallas were vacant. Mm. And I think Google brought a lot of people in, which kind of raised the market and in, in house value. But the cost of a house is crazy now. Yeah. You know, you're talking like 300000 for a fixer-upper, mm-hmm. you know, so there's there's the good and the bad because cost of living is is higher, you know. But, I mean, I've, I've been at the same place uh, for like 10 years now, mm-hmm. and I'm still locked into that, that low rent rate that I paid back then. Yeah. You know, so some people are paying 900 bucks for a studio. I pay 540 for a two-bedroom. That's you know, cool. Which is pretty pretty unheard of, man, so... Yeah, I was talking to uh, Irby, I believe, and he was saying that it's practically impossible to buy a house because he said as soon as something comes on the market, there's like all these real estate companies that come in and just buy them because they can turn them 
and sell them to somebody from Google or, or yep. someone and else. Absolutely, man. It, it's, it's insane. Well, yeah, I think a lot of people that are in Portland even potentially are buying there and commuting, you know, or yep. even Hood River. Because, dude, Hood River's pretty brutal, too. Well, it, it's actually toned down quite a bit. Yeah. More people have spread, kind of come this to, to the Dallas, towards uh-huh. the Dallas. Uh-huh. So it's not the, the yippity uppity town that it used to be. Yeah. No, because it always used to be a battle. Yeah. Like the rich kids in Hood River against the <laughs> the little west side uh, shitheads in the Dallas, man. It, it was always one of those things, but now I don't think it's so much. But then again, it's, it's probably one of those things you grow up, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, things are probably the same, but they're just different. You yeah. know, in our perspective. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is how many uh, breweries they have. Or just like boutique, like the clock tower, you know? Oh, yeah. Dude, that would have never made it when we were kids. Well, I, it might have, you know, it might have. But yeah. but that was the kind of stuff that we needed, man, to mm-hmm. kind of bring like a little bit of youth into a retirement town. Because yeah. that's, that's what we grew up in, a retirement town. Yeah. I mean, there was, you know, every every five blocks, there's you got a retirement home somewhere. But uh, you you got to bring that kind of that that younger lifestyle kind of thing in because mm-hmm. we got you know we got a couple joints like that. But uh, you know it's nothing like hanging on Alberta Street or Mississippi Ave, you know. Yeah. But uh, it's you know it's something for people to do. Mm-hmm. Well, it's different though too because it's still what maybe like fifteen thousand people, and I mean you could go from one side of town to the other in ten minutes. Sure. And so, dude, traffic sucks in Portland, man. Yeah, but you, you get to the Dallas and everything's 25 miles an hour. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but yes, I, I, I always wanted to live in the city growing up. Yeah. I always, like, I just, a kid mesmerized at the, the tall buildings and whatnot. And then I came and lived here and I realized how congested it was. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, I fucking hate this. <laughs> you know, and, and I love, I love small town, you know, especially in, in the, the midst of a pandemic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, my, my heart goes out to uh, the people that live in shoeboxes, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, we, it's, it's definitely a, it's a beautiful place to live, man. I, uh, I'm definitely comfortable there, mm-hmm. you know, and it, I, I've been, uh, I've been building credit, trying to get, uh, enough to get some kind of loan. I, I've, I've been approved like 200,000, but you know, like we were saying, you can't buy anything like that. It's just, yeah. it's, it's incredibly, incredibly tough. Yeah, that's a that's the issue I'm running into down here because I'm trying to get out of this place and go buy a house and everything that I want to buy, you know, just like a three bedroom, two bath, it's just like slightly out of my range, and it's for it's for houses that shouldn't cost that much money. Yeah, you know, we we bought our house over here in Gresham in 2012 for 187, and that house is worth 370 now. That's it's about it, the same. It doubled, dude. Yeah, in eight years. I, th- I think my my mother. You remember the house up on Nineteenth Street? Oh yeah. She. I think her. My dad and her purchased that for like one hundred and sixty thousand, uh-huh. maybe one hundred eighty. But she's when she sold it way back when, uh, she made a huge profit. But now that's like it's probably worth you know close to three hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. Which is just nuts. But uh, you do you ever go buy that house? Oh yeah. Yeah. Does it look the same? Uh, they did a little bit, little bit of tweaks here and there. They took about a, all the grass out and put bark down and. Um, but for the most part, it looks the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the houses look the same on the, on that block. Just yeah. like, just like your old neighborhood. Yeah. 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 Yeah, dude. Yeah. My parents sold that house, uh, three or four years ago. And, 
apparently the people who bought it have done some things to it, ripped out a bunch of trees and uh, changed a few things around. But dude, I always get that feeling like I just want to roll up one day and be like, hey, I used to live here. You mind if I just like walk around for a little bit? For sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Come on in, buddy. Yeah, man, that town, it, it was a cool place. And uh, I have so many fond memories of all the stuff that we did. And I look back on some of the things and I'm just like, man, it, it's almost like, uh, like, it obviously was me. I obviously did it, but it's almost like I disassociate from it. Like it was a different version of me that I can kind of relate to in some ways, but in other ways, like, I was a completely different person back then. And I've, I've tried to hold on to like the good portions of it. But um, that's the weird thing about growing up is you, hopefully you change and you become a, a better person. And, uh, you know, as you experience new things, you kind of take them and, and try to do different, different things with it. Um, I have this thing where I kind of... Uh, pay attention to my age probably more than I should and I've been thinking a lot lately about banks of 18 years like that first 18 years from when you you're born to when you finish high school like that's a significant portion of your life and what you do in that time period dictates like what happens later and now dude we're 36 and so we've lived that second 18 years if you can look at it that way and so it's almost like we're going into the third chapter of yeah. that time period, you know? You remind me that I'm 36, dude. It's dude. crazy, man. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. And and uh I you know, I was kind of kind of thinking of, you know, some of the some of the things we did growing up. Yeah, you had a good upbringing. You know what I mean? I I did as well. I had loving parents. Mm -hmm. You know that uh we had the middle class, you know, white privileged family. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And and uh your your side was a little bit stricter, mm -hmm. you know what I mean. But they did they did a damn good job, you know. And uh, I remember we were like freshmen in high school, and 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 two two of the hottest girls, the seniors, asked us to prom. <laughs> we're like, yeah, we're like, dude, we we were on top of the world, boy. How how could you not be? And and then uh, your parents put the kibosh. They're like, you're not going. Yeah. And I was like, man, but it was probably better. You know, they probably saved our virginity for a year or two. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're, I know what you're talking about. That that uh, that that jump from eighth grade to high school and you just get smacked in the face with, with all the perceptions of what you thought it was going to be and then you start living it. And, dude, there's something weird about being a freshman and going in there. You're kind of like a kid. You felt like you were super old and, and had everything figured out and then you go into this new environment and you're looking at people that are only a couple years older than you and you're just like oh fuck those guys are so cool man they're so they got facial hair you yeah, know they hit the pube they yeah hit the pube yeah dude yeah yeah and yeah, it's, it's it's uh it's true man you know you you go into a to a a, a new world essentially vulnerable you know what i mean and you want to be cool and 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 all you hear is is we're going to be haze like dazing and fuse and be pushing a penny down the hallway mm -hmm. with our with our nose you know and, <laughs> yeah. and, and and getting hit with the paddle and and we get there and it's nothing like that you know what i mean it's uh but high school was was a fun gig for me mm -hmm. you know same here yeah. i hear a lot of people complain about it and say they want out and they don't want to do it and i'm like man 
that was like some of the best years of my life. Like absolutely, when you don't have to have a job, when you don't have to be responsible for other humans, uh, you're just fucking taking it day at a time and going for it, man. And then you look back and you're like, dude, that's torture. It was torture. Mm -hmm. You know, no matter what the situation, it was whether you know, it was torture because we didn't have the the freedom that uh, that we have now. You know, we we couldn't jump in a car and drive. You remember getting a car wreck up on Kelly? Oh, yeah. No, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, my interpretation, I don't know that you and I have ever talked about this. Maybe not. Maybe yeah. not. Uh, so that night, we were hanging out at, uh, I think it was Kessel's house, wasn't it? I Honestly, I couldn't tell you. I, I, I think we were... We had, we were going to meet uh, a couple girls. You you were you were seeing one of them, and I was seeing the other. As far as I remember, we were at a party at at this house, and there were a bunch of people there, and we were hanging out. And somebody gave me Vicodin, and I can't remember if it was one or two, but I popped them, and then we were we were drinking, and uh, yeah, you were dating her, and there were two other girls that were with her. They're her friends, and you. I can't remember if you guys got in a fight or what happened, but something happened where it was decided that they needed to go home. I I, I think it was because you were loaded behind the wheel. <laughs> well, you somehow something happened and they had to go home. And so you asked me to drive. And dude, I didn't think twice about it. I was like, whatever. So we got in my car and we drove them way to the other side of town, dropped them off. And then when we were coming back, there's that street Kelly, right? Kelly, yeah, Kelly yeah. Avenue. And when you go up that street, there's an automatic left turn. Like you can't, you can't, you're just supposed to follow yeah. the, the path. And dude, I think it's a 25 and I was doing probably like 40, 45. And as I went to take that left, I didn't quite make it and slammed right into that curb and pulled over. And this is how I remember <laughs> You're yelling at me. You're like, dude, we got to keep going. We got to keep, or, uh, no, no, other way around. You're yelling at me, pull over, dude. We, we got to get out of the car. And I was like, no, dude, we got to get the fuck out of here. And you're saying, no, dude, look at your fucking car, man. It's not going to drive. And we get out and look at it. And the, the tire is like up inside the wheel well. I hit that curb so hard. Just bent the axle. Oh, dude, it completely fucked it up. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to get out of there because I knew I was going to get in trouble, go to jail or whatever. And uh, in the process of you and I yelling at each other, someone called the cops on us because they thought we were fighting. And so we get out of the car and we're just kind of standing there. And then the cops show up. You did the smart thing and fucking booked it <laughs> and ran and jumped over some fences and hid in some backyards or whatever. And I just sat there and I didn't have to admit that it was my car. I didn't, I could have just lied my way, way, uh, way out of it, but I didn't. And then, yeah, I ended up going to jail and getting a DUI that night. Damn. As, as a youngster, 16. Dude, no, we were 18. Oh, we were 18. We were 18. We were seniors. Well, my my uh, my take on the story was, was I mean, you're right on the money. But uh, when we wrecked, you uh, mentioned that you had a, a, a marijuana pipe in the, in the glove box. Okay. And the cops show up. And they surround us, dude. You and were still there when the cops came? I was still there when the cops came. And... Uh, I grabbed your pipe from the, from the from the glove box, mm -hmm. and it was, dude, like back then it was like a piece of glass, this big, dude, <laughs> you know, big old honking steamroller or whatever. Yeah. And uh, 
the cops start to chase, man, and I, and I jump a, a wood fence, and they're they're on me, dude, and I'm I'm running, and I, there's this huge pine tree that that had branches low to the ground, mm-hmm. and I remember jumping under it and army crawling to the other side, and I get up and I come back out on the street, and I'm running past you guys, you guys, the cops, there's a cop facing away. And then there's your car, and then there's other cops surrounding you. Mm-hmm. And I dart across the street, and the cop slammed it in reverse and tried to hit me. And he missed. And I ducked down the street and then cut through an alley. And I'm booking, dude. And I can hear I can hear him behind me. You still have the pipe? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Big old bulging glass pipe in my uh, in my pocket. And I jumped this ledge and I remember like an like an old school refrigerator, like with the, the handle and the the you know the the old school and I jumped this ledge and jumped over this fridge and land and I just keep running. I, I landed like a like a fucking athlete dude. <laughs> like and, Tom Cruise or something. Dude. And uh I got away. Yeah. You know I I ducked out and hit under somebody's porch and then uh went uh at that around that time we were hanging at uh Lucas's house a lot huh. and partying and whatnot and I, I ended up there and then a few you know a few days later the cops come knocking on my door and they're like hey uh you know, were you with so and so, yada yada, and I denied it until I was blue in the face, and, yeah. and they still got me with the MIP. They ended up giving me an MIP, even though they didn't have proof. I I probably could have fought that. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Well, that's a thing that I don't know if I ever admitted to you, and I don't know if I can admit it because I don't remember what I said. But there was a lot of discussion over whether or not I told them that you were the guy that ran away, and I may have done that. I honestly don't remember. Dude, it, it you know it doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter you know now I mean? but right and and i'm i'm pretty sure you did but but uh it doesn't matter man you, you know i was thinking that too because because i think i mentioned in in the beginning of this the the whole uh dui the last time i saw you man i was living here and uh we all got loaded at the bar and farger's little punk ass had me drive him home over here in gresham and and just an, like an idiot man i get pulled over and uh and refused to do a blow test, mm-hmm. and they throw me in the slammer, and and uh, you know that was my my first run in with drinking and driving. Because nowadays it's like ten grand easy. Oh yeah. You know after everything's said and done, and even you know even when it happened to me back in two thousand eleven, but uh, I remember going to court and uh, trying my damnedest to convince Farger to like testify in my on my behalf mm-hmm. right but he was subpoenaed in, subpoenaed anyway so he had to show up and I, I i remember him telling me uh that he had talked to you and you told him dude just be honest you know what i mean and and to me i felt like well fuck dude don't be honest man you're gonna give me pants bro so he goes up on the stand and uh oh he actually went yeah he showed up he showed up and and uh <laughs> goofy as ever you know, nervous. You could tell. And, and you have a uh, nice shirt on. Me? No. Did he? I don't remember. Probably not. <laughs> pro- pro- maybe. Maybe like a like a button up. Yeah. Little hand me down. Yeah. But he, you know, he told the truth. He said, you know, and actually, he probably sugarcoated a little bit. But he's like, yeah, you know, we we shared a picture. But I was loaded, dude. There, I, yeah. I deserve that thing, dude. Yeah. I, I shouldn't have been on the on the road. But uh, you know, looking back on it now, you know, my my entire life. Uh, you know, I've been a liar, cheating, a thief. You know what I mean? And and uh, so, looking back on it, that's absolutely the best thing that he could have done for himself. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He could have gotten in trouble for perjury if he would have lied and, yeah. they, and they could have proved it some other way. So I, dude, God bless him for, for uh, telling the truth, man. But uh, this, this is my liar, cheat, and thief. You know, so they put us on a recess, right? And uh, in, in court, the judge puts us on recess. And beforehand, they, they were talking about, the prosecutor was talking about uh, some of my, like, basically the, the whole ordeal, right? And they said, uh, I had like the stigma in my eye. So when they were doing the test, it was jogging back and forth. And then they, they said the key word that, uh, that I was, uh, I was flushed, like, like red, mm-hmm. like flushed, like a sign of being drunk. And so they put us on this recess and I'm like, dude, this huge light bulb goes off in my head. I'm going to run to the health store. I'm going to get niacin. I'm going <laughs> to pop a bunch of niacin yeah. and walk back into this courtroom. Yeah. And I did. And I looked like a fucking lobster, dude. And I went from a normal skin tone to a lobster and just hoping that they're like, dude, this guy normally turns red. Yeah. And no, it didn't, it didn't work. They, they, uh, they, they, they hit me with the, uh, this was even worse, you know, um, at the time that they were deciding, uh, what my, my, uh, my penalty would be, they bring in a high school class to, to come in and, and observe like what happens in court. And so the judge is like, I'm sure was like, Oh dude, we're going to teach this kid. Yeah, a lesson. We need to prove a point. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, they hit me with six days in Multnomah County, uh, a shit ton of fines. I had to use a breathalyzer for a year um sr22 the whole nine you know and and and, uh at that time i was uh i was going to college for uh renewable energy technology so i was i was on like the the uh last leg of of getting an associates in renewable energy and i was going to go to i was going to start a job in wind and uh at that time they weren't ta- like if you had a DUI on your record, you're not getting in because you got to drive company truck. You got to be they got oh, yeah. they got to insure you. Yeah, like, for sure. You're a liability or whatnot. And uh, so I I uh, my my hopes and dreams, dude. All that hard work was like I felt like it was it was flushed away for my own actions, right? And uh, and but it turned out to be exactly what I needed to be for 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 my life. You know, um, you know, I, it it hasn't been mentioned on here, but you know, I I. Uh, I had issues with drugs and alcohol, you know, and it, you all know, we, we grew up and uh, some people kind of grow out of it and, and mature and, and can handle the thing. I, I didn't, you yeah. know, I, I was, uh, I, I was an addict through and through by the time, uh, you know, 2014, that's when I got sober, 2014. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, a couple of years later, I ended up getting a job in wind. Yeah. I've, been, I've been rodeoing ever since. So it's turned out to be a blessing, man. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. That that ordeal was a blessing for me too because, uh, I mean, not that I haven't made any mistakes since then, but when that happened, I believe it was in April of 2002. So we were seniors. We were just a few months away from graduating. I wrecked that car, went to jail for DUI. I'd call my dad, ask my dad to bail me out, and uh, I was supposed to work at the gas station the next day. I was supposed to be there at 6 a.m. or 6.30 or whatever. And uh, I didn't show up on time. I was like two hours late. And I come in and the guy that was there, he was super pissed. He's like, I had to do everything all by myself all morning. Where you been? And I was like, hey, dude, I was in jail last night for DUI. And then he kind of shut up after that. But that started this this uh, set of dominoes where um, 
you know, I, I, I moved out for a little while and, uh, dude, I put my parents through some things, you know, especially my mom, though, those few years in high school, man, gave her a number of, uh, nervous breakdowns from all the shit that I did. And that, that situation, you know, I was, I was lucky because one, I didn't kill myself. I didn't kill you. We just crashed into a curb. So it could have been way worse. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah. it was more financial than anything. And because of, I don't know if it was because of my age or because of the arrangement within the law at that point, but I could take diversion and I took diversion and I think I only paid like a grand. And then, uh, I just went to a class for three months and had to take piss tests and pass them. And if I did, then I think it got wiped. I don't think it was on my record after that. So that was that was a cool thing that they offered that uh, arrangement. But like you said, dude, that that moment changed everything. And if it wouldn't have went down that way, dude, we could have been in my car a month later, and I could I could have fucking killed somebody. So that drinking and driving stuff, dude, it's a uh, you don't really like appreciate how how negatively it can go. You know, but you don't, you don't think about it when you're on the sauce. No, you know what I mean? No, it's like, fuck yeah, I can drive, you know? And, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, there, there's a, there's a lot of bad things that can happen with it, man, for sure. You know, we've been fortunate when I was, when I got my, my, uh, 240SX, that little Nissan my dad got me for my 18th birthday. I had, uh, I had, uh, who was I with? I was, I was with, uh, you know, Chris Berger, mm-hmm. remember him? Mm-hmm. Uh, Shad Grayson. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't mention names, but uh, anyways, we we had a little crew and and we were taking a back road on Olney, and uh, kind of like you taking the corner too fast. I was going around the corner at like seventy and flipped the car. We we flipped the the car, and I remember this music. This at the time I was into like like uh, SPM like Mexican rappers. And I remember, dude, vividly, we were all in the cars. Nobody had seatbelts. And the car came up and over. And as we're going down, I'm seeing sparks flying off of the, the front fender. Wow. And as we go down, I'm hearing this song, and it's, it's singing, Lifetime thugs, do a die killer. And it's just, right? <laughs> and I'm, you know, and no time to react or anything, yeah, man. Yeah. And, and uh, we ended up upside down in a ditch. And... Uh, Nobody was hurt except for me. I was the only one that got an injury. And uh, we had all crawled out of that car. But there's no doubt in my mind that, that uh, some kind of, something was looking after my ass, man. Because those, my friends should have been dead yeah. in, a, in a situation like that. And it was drugs and alcohol that were the... the yeah, and, and I don't know, I don't know if you recover from that, man. Like if you, if I was in a situation like that and I was driving and I killed somebody, especially if it was my friend and I lived, dude, I don't know if you'd ever recover from that, man. Yeah, it'd be it'd be pretty post traumatic, dude. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. But uh like the like the guy that we know that was coming down Burry Grade in the Volkswagen bug. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, oh of course. I, I see him. Yeah. He's doing good. Well that's cool. You know, but he went through that. Dude, you know yeah, I can't I can't imagine, man. Yeah. It, it's it's a tragedy, man really is but, yeah i mean but that that's what it was growing up there i mean 
obviously we, we could have been we could have been like doing 4-H and playing video games and not getting on the sauce and smoking a bunch of weed and shit but in that town at that time is kind of just the option right it would dude it was if if they told us you could smoke duct tape and get high i was smoking <laughs> duct tape and getting high yeah. you know what i mean like it, it didn't matter what it was i i was a garbage can i was a garbage disposal i would put anything in my body just to feel different you know and, what i mean okay so is that what it was you just wanted to be different i i i think i kind of adopted an attitude of like i will i'm always i'm willing to try anything once yeah and uh that was me too man which kind of opened up the gateway to hell yeah. you know what i mean like like uh you try something and then you come to like it and then you you're doing that all the time you know so uh that's you know that's kind of i i don't know what uh what put me there to to be that way mm -hmm. you know but uh it's what happened you know and and uh so yeah you know i i, I surrounded myself with with friends that just had it and it was, you know, whatever, whatever we could get our hands on. We mm -hmm. were, we were drinking, uh, fucking, uh, Sudafed, you know, robo frying <laughs> and, and, and sniffing Ritalin and, you Dude, know, all this dumb stuff. Dude. I thought about that one the other day. Do you remember when we went to the fucking Rite Aid next to the movie store and we went in there and we bought two bottles of cough syrup and you and I go through the checkout and we're paying for it. And the, the girl looks at us and she's like. You guys aren't gonna drink this, are you? And we're like, no, no way. And we fucking drank a bottle each and went back to some like basketball, basketball game. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And dude, I was uh, I was staying at one of my parents' friends' house. My parents were on vacation or something, and she was responsible for me. And I got fucked up, dude, off that Sudafed or whatever it was. And dude, we didn't have cell phones. She she had no way of getting a hold of me, and just thought where's this kid that I'm supposed to be taking care of? And I ended up coming home like two hours late or something. And dude, she could have killed me. She was so mad. And dude, I don't I, blame her. I didn't you know. <laughs> I didn't know you could drink a bottle of cough syrup and get fucked up like that until you and I did, man. And we got fucked up. Dude, <laughs> dude. That, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I don't think they make cough syrup the same way anymore. No, I, no, they caught on to it. I think yeah. it was one of those one of those things. Like they're, you know, it, it. I mean, it was such a sensation. We didn't have Facebook and all this other mm -hmm. shit, and it blew up. Like the word got around, around the nation or the world for for all, for all intents and purposes. And that's how, like, easily it spread informationally to us. You know, we're like, okay, you can get high off it. Let's do it. Yeah. You know, and and uh, so it's really saying something if you know you don't have the social media. Yeah. To kind of uh, give people dumb ideas. Yeah, dude. I don't even know how we found out about that. Probably word of mouth. You know Something. what I mean? Somebody somebody got sick and drank too much and fried balls and, and realized that it was it was they were onto something. You you know, you just talking about that reminded me of uh and 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 uh you know, God bless God bless your parents if they're watching this. They're probably like oh my dude. But uh we, my brother had these these inhalers for his asthma because mm -hmm. he had it really bad. Mm -hmm. We were in junior high. We were. Seven. I know where you're going with this. Yeah. yeah. And so, back then, you know, we got scammed and scrammed all the time because we wouldn't get the good shit. Like they would sell us the Mexican red hair that mm -hmm. had seeds in it, and you'd get a headache from smoking it. But we, you know, we so we got this this bag of flatbud that's probably been smuggling a mule's ass at some point. <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, I make this this makeshift inhaler out of plastic, mind you. Yeah. Plastic that would melt at a... Yeah, at and a, I never questioned it. <laughs> neither. And so here we are in the alley, you know, trying to get high off of a, a plastic inhaler. It was just insane, dude. Like, Well, yeah, dude, because we didn't have a screen to go in it. And you, so you brought the inhaler one day and you told me about it. And dude, we were like seventh or eighth grade. And... That was, I think, one of the first times I ever smoked weed. And you're like, oh, it's okay, man. I'll figure it out. We'll get, we'll get a, we'll get a screen. We'll do something. And you cut a chunk of screen out of, <laughs> out of the screen door at your parents' house. Dude. And fucking brought that in. I don't remember if it even worked or not. Uh, I don't think so because it wasn't metal. Yeah. It was like kind of like the the like rubber like rubber coated. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little bit of metal on the inside after we smoked the plastic. Dude. But my mom came finally figured it out years later <laughs> she's like i was wondering what the hell happened to my screen dude <laughs> so for years there's a perfectly good screen door with a chunk of little square cut out on mm-hmm. oh god man that's nuts well yeah dude uh i mean i didn't meet you until junior high and that was the coolest thing about hanging out with you is you were fucking down for anything not not just with me but with anybody like you would hang out and you would have a good time and fucking who cares what happens let's just try it and i don't know maybe that's why i was drawn to you because i kind of felt the same way like i was trying to experience something and so yeah when we started hanging out sixth seventh eighth grade that was like some formative years and that was when i started trying things and uh just gave me the opportunity to experience things that anything that popped in my mind i was like hey Irvin, let's fucking try this and dude yeah we'd go do it yeah it's good times man what a way to live dude it was good times and i don't i don't regret any of it i'm glad i didn't die i'm glad we didn't kill anybody but the the thing about life in my opinion is like you should you shouldn't be so scared that you never do anything. And maybe you shouldn't do a bunch of drugs. Maybe you shouldn't get hooked on heroin or or rob a grocery store with a gun. Like, you got to draw the line somewhere. Yeah, but, you, you got to find your rush in a safe, uh, yeah, a safe way. But, yeah. dude, I think that's what it was for you and me. Is like, we just, we're kids, man. We want to try it. We want to see what it, what, dude, we can go to Rite Aid and buy a bottle of cough syrup. Let's see what happens. You know, I, I have a story. And uh, for years, you know, uh, my feelings were hurt, and and uh, this is this is going back to junior high, and and I, I didn't really realize it until um, maybe a few years ago. It even crossed my mind. But uh, uh, we were in a band, you know. <laughs> I was thinking about this just before you came over. So we were we were in a band, right? <laughs> and and you and Cody Farger and I don't know if Ian Ian Demick was in it. It was just you and Farger and I. Okay, okay, and uh, so. We, your parents were kind enough to to allow us to 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 do this little music gig in your bedroom, and and I didn't realize this until years later of how funny it is. But at the time, like we were jamming, you know, jamming, and and uh, I'd get on that microphone and I was singing like, you know, at the time it was like uh, butt metal was yeah. the the new thing, man, and yeah. and it was screaming and all that jazz, and I'd get on the the microphone and, you know. 
Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. <laughs> yeah, dude. Humpty Dumpty smoked an eight ball. You know, and, and thinking on it now, it was your parents were probably upstairs thinking, <laughs> what in the hell is this kid saying? Yeah. You know, we're not going to let Cody hang out with him anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a few days later, maybe a week, you guys took Ian as, as your singer. And I was so butthurt. I was like, those guys ousted me. And thinking on it now, it was probably your folks saying, dude, you can't hang out with this kid. No, he's, no, no. he's over the top. No, you know? it, was, it wasn't like that at all. Uh, Ian and I would play together and we'd try to write songs and stuff. And that was with me playing drums. But when you would come up, I was playing guitar and Fargo would play drums. And yeah, you were singing. Yeah. Uh, but dude, I have a VHS tape of one of those sessions that we had. You can't really hear anything. It's basically just all drums. And uh, dude, we we went somewhere. It must have been down to the cliff and smoked a bowl. And then we came back. And because I didn't want it to show any of us while we were playing. I just like focused it Blacked on the it wall. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. black. And dude, I remember, man, we, we were fucking super blazed and just playing music for hours. And then my mom calls us to come upstairs and eat some dinner. And we go up there and she made like chicken nuggets and french fries or something and dude you just kept going back for those french fries <laughs> and she's gotta be thinking what is up with these kids man god bless your mother man what what a, what a nice thing to do for for she's just trying to feed us yeah yeah you know and and those are the kind of the things i look back on and think man what what uh what good people man i i always had the feeling that your dad hated me I, I think he was he was cut from a different cloth, like uh-huh. maybe a little mi- militarish. Uh-huh. But he was looking out for you, you know. And and I, I think he was right on and in, in, in not trusting me. Dude, he he had done all those things that we were doing. Absolutely. And so he knew. You could read the writing on the wall. Yeah, dude, he knew what was up. And dude, that's the thing about that's the thing about my youth is there's a lot of a lot of friends that we had whose parents hated me. Because they thought I was the bad influence. And dude, the, the truth is, all of us were just doing whatever we wanted to. We were all bad influences Absolutely. on each other. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it's a, a situation where all these different parents were just trying to protect their kids. And they didn't understand that we were all in it together, man. You yeah. know, we were all doing the same stuff. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You know, it's it's crazy. But, you know, they're... they're ideal was like all right our son's kind of messing up we need to redirect mm-hmm. you know and and so they did exactly what what a loving parent would do man. yeah they tried to but i was so uh, i was so focused on doing the opposite of what i was supposed to i didn't care man yeah and i would purposely go against whatever they said just to be like fuck you and we've had conversations about it you know Many times over the last few years, I tell them all the stuff that I did and everything. And the guilt that I have from putting them through all that shit for four or five years, man. uh, It just makes you hope that your kids don't do that shit to you. Because, dude, we, we, I don't know, man. I can't imagine being your parent at that time period or being my parent at that time period or anybody that we hung out with that must have been some shit dude yeah i could imagine you know and and in my household you know my my parents divorced when i was 12 
So I kind of use that to my advantage. I, I got away with a lot more stuff than you did or some of our friends, you know, because I wasn't monitored in in the sense of uh, I wasn't given a lot of direction. It was kind of like you can, you know, you uh, if I get in trouble with my mom, I'll bounce to my dad's vice yeah. versa, you know, and just kind of play that whole uh, that whole card. And um, but, you know, I, fuck, man, you know. My parents had their own gig going. Yeah. They had their own life going. You know what I mean. And and uh, they loved me, and they they showed affection as they as they could, mm-hmm. and and which was appropriate or whatnot. And so they did their best, man. Yeah. And you know, yeah, I put my mom through a lot of shit, you know. And and uh, but but I think today, you know, the the relationship is is uh is a lot different. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's the 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 love is more genuine on both sides. You know, yeah, when they're not in control of what you can and cannot do, exactly. everything changes. Exactly. That's yeah. it. That's yeah. that's it for sure. Yeah, dude, your parents were super cool and they're, they're always just looking out for you. You just like, you were untamed wild stallion out in the field. Like, dude, nobody's getting on that fucking horse. Well, I had a brother that was three years older. So, and, and he was in the party scene, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and all of his circle of friends, they were all into the, cra- the crazy shit. And so I, that's kind of what I was you know, molded into. I kind of mm-hmm. grew up into that and fell right into place. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? His friends were getting me high at 12 years old with the triple perk. Yeah. Bong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, so that's, that that kind of, uh, that kind of fed into like what I turned out to be in yeah. the future, you know, as well. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And that was a cool connection for me because he knew about a lot of music and then you would listen to it and then give it to me. Like, that's how I found out about No Effects. Yeah. Because your bro was listening to it, and then you were stealing his CDs, and we were all listening to it together. Yep. Yeah, dude. Yep, those, yep. those connections are cool, because you, uh, once you reach that age, you're you're easy, um, you're better able to influence other people, whether or not you want to. And yeah, Whether it's good or bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, my ideology back then was fucking party, man. Yeah. You know? And, and... You would think that somebody with that that kind of attitude and outlook would uh, would be apt to like fuck things up, drop out of school, you know, do do those kinds of things. But I was so addicted to school because of the the socializing, mm-hmm. you know, and I was friends with so many different circles and, and was able to just bounce around. That like I would never think about quitting school. Yeah, it's like, dude, that's where all the fun's at, you know. Yeah. And uh, but you know, somehow I, I managed to graduate high school, you know, and and uh, eventually go to college. You know, and, and, and all that jazz, but it's just, uh, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't understand the, the issue with graduating high school either. High school wasn't that hard. No. And it was cakewalk. It was cool, man. That's what you have to see everybody. You show up and you pretty much pass. Yeah. I, you know, I do remember I flunked, uh, oh, what the hell was his name? He, he was a redhead. He was the, the biology teacher or science teacher. Mr. Eddie, no, not Mr. Eddie. So he he was a different guy, but he the, he, the young guy. No, he was older. Had red curly hair. No, uh, I don't remember. We we had the these those table <coughs> those tables that had uh, the plugins mm-hmm. on on each each side. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sitting in class one day, I think, with like Sarah and James. Remember him? God, I love that kid. <laughs> I, I haven't yeah, seen. I yeah, he was my sidekick. <laughs> he back was, then. dude. Dude, he, I stuck my neck out for that kid, yeah. and I, I almost got killed by the gangbangers in the Dallas series. You know, I don't. I don't know if you remember, but um, 
we were in PE and, uh, you know, he was just a fragile kid, man. You know, he, he, uh, had kind of a shitty situation at home, single mom that kind of treated him like shit and, you know, controlled. And so, uh, he just latched on to me, man. And, and we became like real tight. And this kid went up and blatantly like slide tackled him to hurt him in PE. And I stuck up for him. I'm like, dude, don't, don't, don't go at him like that. Period. If you want to go to him like that, go to me like that. Yeah. And it set off a, something in that, in that wannabe gangster's mind. And he was after me, man. And they stalked me, he, him and his little group of friends for months. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I was living in fear. I was like, dude, like these, these guys are going to pummel my ass. And it finally came to a head in, uh, at a powder puff game that my brother and all his friends were on the sidelines and, and, uh, Gabe come up to me, uh, with his girlfriend and, and was like, let's fight. And at this time I was so tired of running that I was, I, I finally was just like, all right, we're going to fight. And my brother and all his friends were, had my back. And so we, you know, he, he, them thinking they're all hard, they go across the street and it's like him and five others. And then I got the whole damn football team on my back. So, <laughs> you know, I'm coming in ready to scrap. Yeah. And we just go at it, man. And it, for whatever reason, I just, I, I laid him out with a hit to the nose and it broke his nose and, and, uh, just, it, it was, it was pretty cool feeling, man. Like I, I finally was at this moment where I stuck up for myself mm -hmm. and, and, uh, succeeded and, uh. It didn't end there, you know. They they uh, they ended up stalking me for another week, and uh, we w I went with uh, our old hippie crew, the the girls, you know, that we used to hang out with. Yep. And we smoked herb on lunch, and I I go to math class yeah, high dude. as a kite, dude. Yep. And they him and his gangbanger friends follow me in the classroom, and they come and try to jump me. And dude, it was like two rabid cats going after each other, bro. And somehow, some way, like I didn't come out, but with like a scratch on the side of my face, and I just fucked them up. Dude, and, I remember and, that day. I was gonna bring that up because. So, for everybody listening, when when we went to uh, when we went to high school in the Dallas, the the lunch was from eleven seventeen to eleven fifty five, right? Something like that. It was such it was a weird, weird number. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And dude, you uh, you could either eat in the cafeteria that was there that we called the Chat and Spew, or you could go to Taco Bell or Wendy's or whatever. You only had thirty eight minutes or whatever that was. And that day, you and I, I, you probably had the weed, and you're like, "Hey, dude, let's go smoke on lunch." And I was like, "Sure, fuck it, let's go." And so we went and hung out with that hippie crew. And uh, just went like down behind somebody's garage or something. Down there by Nikki's house. Yeah. Yep. And dude, yeah, yeah. that was the first time I got really fucking high. <laughs> we we took like, I don't even know, man, only like three or four hits. And we came back to school and I'm like, dude, I can't cope. I felt like I was walking around in a fishbowl or something, dude. Everybody's all slow motion and everything. And so I say goodbye to you and you went to, uh, I think it was a math class. Yeah. And you got in the fight with him in the classroom, right? Yep. And there were like shirts that got ripped and there was blood on something. And somebody came to me after it happened and they're like, yeah, Irvin got in a fight again. Or Ir Irvin got in a fight. And I was like, no, dude, that was last week. What are you talking about? They're like, no, dude, it just happened right now. And yeah, that was in the classroom. It was nuts. He came in and all of the, all of the, uh, the desks were pushed back. The first row was pushed all the way back. We had come around those desks 
And then I had them slammed up against the chalkboard. And then we, like, they had a little cubby. I don't know if you remember the little cubbies that mm-hmm. there was nothing in them. It was just like a, like a, like a rectangle okay. or yeah. uh, whatever. And we end up in there and I'm choking his ass out. And, and, and I'm like, tap out, tap out, you know, and he finally does. And, uh, after that, the, the issue was resolved. I never got fucked with again, man. That was it? Yeah. And, but I, I, you know, I, I went through a lot of fear and, and, uh, but man, you know, if I didn't find out that I was a good ass fighter, dude, I, like, you know, I had no idea, you know, getting picked on from my brothers for so many years, it kind of did something good for me, you know? So yeah. crazy. Yeah, dude. Did did he have that class with you, or he just followed you in there? Followed me. Yeah. Yeah. They stalked me, and and I and actually, he had a crew with him too. And I, I think I was so high that I went early to set my books down <laughs> so I could leave and like go to the bathroom and like look at my face and think, oh my god, like you know, yeah. we're probably bloodshot. But by that time, I had turned around after I put my books down, and boom, he's standing there with five of his friends. Yeah. You know, and they were scary to me, man. They, they you know, they were all, you know, the 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 gangbanger kind of persona you well know? i don't know if this is true for you or not but like there were some last names in that town that had clout like yeah. older brothers could yeah, get yeah. involved exactly yeah yeah and at that time you know because i grew up my whole life you know if anybody picked on me i'd say my brother's gonna kick your ass like that was my <laughs> line and and at, at this moment i'm like i had a fin for myself i i think it was it was he, a good thing. He probably wasn't in school anymore at that point. I think that was like our sophomore year. You, yeah. Yeah, that's he, he right. He, he, is, he was gone. Yeah. And I was all alone, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, that's the kind of shit we got into. Mm-hmm. All because of James. He had the biggest crush on this girl and he'd do anything, dude. He'd, he'd, he'd get her flowers and he would just do anything to be a sweetheart, you know, and try to yeah. get her attention. And, you know... You know, she didn't want anything to do with it, Mm -hmm. you know, and I remember we were in uh, gym class and we were doing laps around the gym and uh, Rachel had come up behind him and he was running up to like jump to touch the bottom of the net. Yeah. She like midair drops his drawers (laughs) and the (laughs) dude and the dingling is like sucked in and, and not presentable at all. And this poor kid, dude. Oh, my God. And, you know, that was pretty much the. The seal of the deal for him, man. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, but I miss that kid. He he was a he was a good kid, man. Yeah, dude. Because we we used to uh, we used to hang out at that church, you know, like oh, yeah. lock away and smoke cigarettes before class and uh, uh, during lunch and stuff. Uh, you remember when the cops used to roll through there and we'd have to hide them real quick because we didn't want to get MIPs for tobacco? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and then I think that's where he started coming and hanging out. You kind of like initiated him and he was hanging out with us and we're like, all right, dude, you get the, you get the, uh, welcome to the club, brother. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, and, and, uh, I remember a time where we got busted in the alley behind Irby's house. And I had ditched a pack of cigarettes into like he. They had like this trailer that they put uh, shrub into or or grass clippings or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I had ditched a pack in there, and they didn't even search the trailer. All they had to do was look up and in, and I would have been busted, you know, or or both of us. But uh, I re- I remember getting busted in the alley, and they're like, "Get out of here," you know. But yeah, dude, we we're up there smoking cigarettes every morning before school started and at lunch and stuff. And, you know, we were all 
15 to 17. It, it wasn't legal. And they knew that and they wanted to roll through there and try to bust us. And if I remember correctly, uh, Farger's girlfriend would go to Fred Meyer and just steal like 10 packs at a time. And so we kind of just lived off her. She would just give us cigarettes. So we're up there smoking all the time. And you remember Chester? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chester. Okay, so Chester, he he owned a cleaning company or worked for a cleaning company or something. And that company would clean Les Schwab. So my dad knew him. Okay. And then he became the hall monitor or something, right? Exactly. When we yep. were like, I think it was when we were juniors. And he smoked cigarettes. And he wanted to make sure that I didn't go down that path and you didn't go down that path. And all of us, you know, wouldn't continue to get lung cancer and whatever. And so he made it a, a point of um, responsibility to somehow make sure that I stopped smoking. And that one day uh, we were going up to Irby's house because he had piranhas and we were going to watch his piranhas eat some fish. You remember that? Yeah. Were you there for that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so dude, we walk up... Irby's house is like a block from the high school and we go to walk up there and I think I was walking with Farger. I'm not sure. And uh, there were two dudes standing on Irby's porch smoking cigarettes. And because uh, Farger and I were on the sidewalk, which is um, public property, uh, Chester called the cops and the, or maybe he was him. I can't remember. But either way, somebody rolled through right there and busted Farger and I, and I got uh, MIP for tobacco. So I wasn't with you guys, but I but I've been up there to see the piranhas. But I I remember I kind of remember that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh, he he made it a point to bust us for that, and it was so fucked up because there were two dudes, our friends, standing on the porch smoking cigarettes. And they didn't get in trouble, but because Farger and I were walking up the sidewalk, we got busted. I got MIPT. I had to go to whatever the fuck it was called back then, detention, you know, for a couple days. And uh, yeah, it was just like this ongoing thing where like, do something that disappoints my parents and get further in trouble. And it was because this guy just wanted to prove a point and try to get me to stop smoking and... He was doing you a favor, man. He thought he was. You, you know, and didn't he go to like a mental institution for like a some kind of breakdown? Mentally? Did he? I, I think know. so. I think so. He ended up leaving, um, and that's that was the rumor. Dude, I I don't know, man. He he was a cool guy, and I'd love to talk to him now. Uh, I mean, what what would you do if you were? Can you imagine being a hall monitor at a high school where you know the kids because you know the parents, like? I get it, man. Like he, totally. he was trying to to help out, but it, it didn't. It didn't help out. It didn't help out, dude. <laughs> it didn't quite go the direction he wanted it to. Yeah, high school was a good time, man. Junior high was good too. Yeah, I think we moved. <laughs> we moved us here in second grade, and I've been in the Dallas ever since, except for the you know the five or six years stint. I, I where'd you live at before second grade? Uh, we li- we. My parents moved from uh, Illinois to Thai Valley, so a little small podunk town. Dude, and, I do not remember that. And I, I was, uh, I went to Moppin Ele- or yeah, Moppin Elementary until second grade, huh. and then we moved to the Dallas. So it was pretty, pretty big move, dude. You're going from like a population of like 200 to 
fourteen thousand. Yeah, it's a big. It's a big bump. Yeah, but yeah. Well, I've had the same conversation with Paul Taylor about going from Dufer to the Dallas. Uh, my parents almost bought a house in Dufer. I almost grew up there instead. Thank God they didn't. Oh, dude. Yeah. My dad was telling me about it last time I was down in Ben hanging out with them, and uh, yeah, dude, that would have sucked. That would have sucked. But then again, I mean, now I wouldn't mind living out there. You got Camp Baldwin right up the, the way. You you got a direct shot to, to Mount Hood. That's what I'm talking about. Like, it's you know? great for established people yeah. who, who have careers that they can just travel to yeah. it. But, dude, for kids, man, can you imagine being a kid growing up in Doofer? It's, it's no that. You, you know, I, I watched your uh, your podcast with your dad, mm-hmm. and he was mentioning growing up in a population like 300. Mm-hmm. No friends. You know what I mean? Like, the yeah. only thing he had was was his brother's friends and so i yeah dude that'd be tough man mm-hmm. you, you, i i wonder how that would wire you as to be as an adult mm-hmm. you know as far as like being socially um apt or whatever the, whatever you want to call it you know it might it might uh mess with that a little bit but i couldn't imagine i couldn't imagine well yeah and then on the other side of the spectrum is like if you grow up in an apartment building in new york city like no thanks. No, dude. No thanks. Uh, I'm, I'm not uh-huh. into that either. Yeah. There's something to be said about having a backyard. I I tried to explain this to my kids because uh, they they don't have any any reference other than than what they're doing right now, and they uh, they have this place, and then they also have uh, the house that they live at uh, with their mom, and that street where we bought this house uh, in 2012. It's in a cul-de-sac. It's a great little neighborhood, but there's no kids around. It, it's just a bunch of retired old folks. So they can't just go out and go play or whatever. The street that I grew up on, there were kids in every single house. Dude, we, you had the Tegans, the Nicholsons, dude, the Denny's, the, the whole, yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. It was awesome. That was and the spot up there. I, I didn't realize how cool that was until I had kids and we lived in a neighborhood that sucked, you know? Yeah. It's a safe neighborhood. But, but they don't have that opportunity. Man, I remember when we were kids, I'd just be like, hey, uh, I'm going to go hang out with Irvin. Is that cool? And they'd be like, yeah. they just take me, drop me off at your house, and we just go walking around doing whatever we wanted. I would, I'd be terrified if my kids went to do that now. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, yeah. It's yeah, way it, different. It is. It really is. But, uh, you, you know, who knows? Maybe it's not different. Maybe we just see it different. You know? True. Because, you know, my daughter's 16 now. Mm-hmm. Six fucking teen. She got a driver's it's license? Insane. She got a, She has a driver's license. She just She just uh, was rewarded a scholarship through uh, Distinguished Young Women. That's cool. Which is a, a program for juniors in high school. Mm-hmm. And so I'm super proud of her, man. Like, if, if <laughs> you know, I didn't do anything right raising her. You know what I mean? I was in and out and, and uh, you know, she was, she was... I was a summer dad. I'd get her in the summers, and that's pretty much it, man. And and uh, to be blessed for her to come move with me when she was twelve was was by far. But the individual that she's grown into is just incredible, man. It's yeah. nothing like I was. Yeah. And 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 uh, she's she's uh, you know she she has a job. Um, she has a boyfriend that I admire, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, we get along. Um, really well and 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 he's got a good head on his shoulders and she just she does the next right thing which is which is crazy to me because that's not the individual that i was mm. and that's not the individual that i raised her to be because i just was incapable you know i was incapable of being a a, a, a 
I was a caring, loving father, but I was incapable of expressing that in the right way and, and grow and, and raising her in that, in that, you know, in what she really deserved. So, you know, once I got sober in 2014, it, you know, it allowed me to, to change who I was. It, it allowed me to develop a relationship with her that was healthy in, in, in sorts, you know? And, and so, uh, she, I think her seeing me, um, under the influence and, and kind of what my life led up to, uh, was beneficial to her because she didn't want to be that way, you know? Yeah. And dude, you should give yourself more credit. Um, I do. I do. You I'm, should. You I'm should. not, I'm not glum about it or, or, or anything like that. Like I've always had a tremendous amount of love for her. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, well, and you're, you're fucking honest about it, dude. You, in my opinion, that is the hardest thing to overcome in the human experience is people who are unwilling to admit that they made mistakes and that they recognize that, recognize those mistakes, and that are willing to change going forward. And so, to me, that's what it sounds like you're saying. Like totally. you, you, you did some stuff that you weren't proud of or, or happy with. You recognize that, and you're going forward. Most people can't do that. Yeah. Well, you know, the rule one hundred and one is that in order for me to get healthy, I had to get honest, mm-hmm. and and I was incapable of doing that. I was. Honesty was like not in my blood, yeah. you know, liar, cheater, and thief. Um, so coming to terms with that, and, and you, you nailed it on the head, man, is, is the, the key is being able to recognize that uh, I'm not living morally sound, man. I'm, I'm yeah. doing things that are creating havoc for other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, my whole entire life, it's always been about me. It's centered in me. I don't see, like like going back to the, to the Fargo story testifying, I don't see... His his situation, situation where he's put into this ordeal that he shouldn't even be in the first place. And in his eyes, it's like, I got to be honest, dude. That's what that's what good people do. They're honest. Right. And in, in my eyes, it's like, no, you ain't. You know, you don't snitch on a brother type of deal. Yeah. And it, it's it's the it's the line of thinking, man. It's the outlook and attitude on life that. uh that uh, has changed for me, man, is is being able to to, you know, for one step back and think about what other people are going through and what maybe side that they see, mm-hmm. and then try to, uh, not you know, not fluff feathers, yeah. you know, and 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 be considerate of other people's feelings or emotions or or situations, you know. So, yeah, it's 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 something I learned. It, it wasn't just a, a character trait that uh. You know what I mean? Like it, maybe yeah. maybe it is, but it wasn't utilized because I didn't know how to utilize it. I just knew how to lie. You know, I just knew how to be dishonest with people and myself. You know what I mean? And uh, I, I think uh, I could get myself to believe anything, no matter how delusional or bullshit it was. Mm-hmm. I could get myself to believe that. Yeah. And uh, that's what where drugs and alcohol came in to to destroy me. Where I wouldn't, I couldn't see it. I couldn't see that it was affecting my physique, my my mental, my emotional, my spiritual. It was all bankrupt, mm-hmm. and I just, you know, the only thing that that would that would help would be to to take the medicine, man. That that was just, you know, coating the surface and not really digging deep. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been it's been. Uh, but do you feel like? Do you feel like all the things that you did were necessary to get you to where you're at? 
Like, do you, do you regret anything? Or are you just like, this is what I did, and now I'm in a better spot? I don't live in regret, man. I, I, I don't. I, I live in, uh, I'm free of that. And I carried it for years, man. It, like, a lot of the shit, I don't even, doesn't even come up. Like, it's it's gone. But uh, there's things that, that that I've done to people that, that would, that would, somebody would be like that. They'd be like, you know, full of regret and remorse. But I've worked through that to the point where, I don't have to live with that. Like I've let it go. Like I've allowed it to to disperse. Mm-hmm. And and the way that I've done that is is admitting. You know what I mean? Like like trying to make an amends in a sense. And even if those people aren't reachable, I can do it on a daily basis. You know, just by doing certain things like staying sober and like yeah. doing the next right thing. And um, so I'm free of that. You know, and that's that's a that's a that's a huge uh, that's a huge blessing. You know, how difficult is that? Me knowing your personality and you knowing mine, and like we're both super impulsive and we just kind of do what we want to do. How how has that changed you? Like, are you less impulsive now, or are you just better at being like, hey, shouldn't do that? I I think maturity has has a little bit in that. Yeah, and and really. Um, I would say I'm impulsive in certain ways. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, I'll find hobbies and stuff. Yeah. Motorcycles are one. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'll impulsive buy shit like that. <laughs> I, I'm sure I'm trying to. I'm I'm sure I'm trying to fill a void. Yeah. You know what I mean? But but uh, it's not in. I'm not impulsive in the sense that I'm killing myself anymore. Yeah. You know. With with garbage, well, and being impulsive with a sound mind is probably better for you than way better. Yeah, way better. Yeah, yeah. I find I do. I mean, I'm I'm impulsive all the time, but I do more impulsive shit when I'm drinking. I w- the way that I live now is I want to live to where the old me is thinking, thinking the new. The young me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I know that I put my body through a lot of abuse. Yeah. And uh, so now, you know, I try to gear towards living healthier. Like, you know, I, there's still unhealthy things that I do, but I incorporate healthiness, you know, and that's on all levels. That's that's taking care of my, my body with healthy foods. That's uh, taking care of my mental attitude with uh, doing the things that I do to, to stay sober and whatnot mm-hmm. and make friends and... and, and uh, enhance relationships you know it, it all all across the board it's different it's a different way of life if in a better sense you know before it didn't matter it didn't matter what it was you know anything to make me feel different and now it's it's uh i'm i'm able to sit through the ups and the downs mm-hmm. you know what i mean it, it's it's uh before it didn't matter if i was happy sad mad glad uh booze or drugs would enhance that which for what for whatever which way and uh i would so i would never get to the root cause of anything it was always mask throw on the mask throw on the mask and and now it's it's you know and like you said man it's it's being able to recognize yeah it's being able to recognize it's a big that's a big uh that's a big piece Mm -hmm. yeah to be able to uh have some sort of self-reflection and understand that um Maybe you're you're hurting other people, or maybe you're hurting yourself. And uh, a lot of it for me is just like being proud of who you are, 
you know? Absolutely. Like, uh, when, when we were younger, I didn't really think much about that. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And, uh, I think the older you get, and I think having kids probably, um, influences this a lot is that you don't want to be embarrassing to your kids. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You, you got yeah. these little people yeah, that you're yeah. taking care of that are the greatest thing you'll ever do. And you don't want to be an embarrassment to them. Cause, uh, I mean, we knew, we knew people growing up all throughout our lives, even now who, who have parents that they just can't quite get it together. And dude, that's the other thing is that the older we get, you know, we're 36 now. We're like, the way, the way I always look at it now is I'm halfway dead. I'm halfway there, man. So one, I'm going to do the things that I want to do, uh, and not be embarrassed of them. Uh, but the other thing is that you need to understand that time is finite and regardless of what you think is going to happen when it's all over, like you get this time right now and you should do the best that you can to, um, to be a good person and to, to, um, give love to the people that you love, you know, cause dude, there's nothing else. That's all you got. Yeah. You, you get maybe 80 years and you get to try some things. You get to get some hobbies. You get to love the people you love and then you fucking die. And maybe you get reincarnated. Maybe you go to heaven. Maybe you sit in some dirt underneath the ground. Like who fucking knows? Nobody fucking knows. Nobody knows. Yeah. You, no, that's, that's true. And, and, and really, uh, a, a little piece of gold to that is, is, um, something that i that i was that i did was was i was i was constantly tripping about the future or i was regretting the past and so if i'm in either one of those i'm pissing all over today you know yeah. what i'm saying so so really being able to learn how to live in the now mm-hmm. is super important to enjoy life in my opinion and so it's uh it's really it's really the, the the mashed potatoes man is is being able to live in the moment and and really take things as they are and enjoy the good and accept the bad yeah you know so life is life's a trip dude and uh i'll be damned if i'm going to be miserable yeah. you know what i mean it's 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 uh it's it's there's there's too much good to uh to live a shitty life man yeah you know so but there's little tics, tips and tricks dude yeah, no, I know, I know what you're saying because you can you can be on top and be feeling like everything's great, and then 20 minutes later, like something will just crush you, and it's it's learning it's learning to take those things and understand that something else is going to happen. It might be really terrible right now, but you know what it's like to feel the good, and the good will come eventually. And if the bad wasn't there, the good wouldn't be good. Exactly. You know what That's I'm what saying? you have to gauge against. Totally. Yeah. So yeah. when the time shit and you finally get out of that and you look back and you think, oh, damn, that was bad. Yeah. But you're like, thank goodness I'm here. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. That, that was one of the things that uh, when we were younger that I, you know, you're you're in high school or whatever, or in your early 20s, and you you think that when people get to a certain age, you, you have some sort of mindset of what that's going to be like. And 
dude, we're 36 years old, man. We're almost 40. And if you, dude, if, if you asked me at 18, when I thought about almost 40, I'd be like, that's an old ass man who should have everything figured out. And dude, I don't, (laughs) I don't have everything figured out. And that's okay. And that's okay. That's okay. Dude, I know, uh, we have friends, um, whose parents are getting divorced and they're 70 years old. They've been married for 40 years. You thought they had it figured out. Nobody has it figured out. Yeah. Everything's always changing and people are always changing and you can't expect it to always stay the same. You got to be able to, to roll with it when it changes. Cause it will. It, it's inevitable. Change is inevitable. Mm-hmm. It's oh, it, it's constant and change is constant. Mm-hmm. So being able to adapt to it is important. Yeah. And being able to to accept things as they are is important. Yeah. You know, otherwise you're you're a little fucking Scrooge running around, fucking talking about the clamors of the world. But uh, so is it difficult for you, um, like having this on the table? Is that yeah, something that you're just like, man? Or have are you so far past it right now that you're just like, eh, I don't need that. You know, oddly enough, I have zero reservation and zero lurking notion. It it does not affect me mm-hmm. anymore. I, I look at it as that's cool. As as it's just I I don't even see it as booze. Mm-hmm. I see it as you know something that's not for me. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, I I know that in, in early recovery it was super difficult. Like I had to change. The people, places, and things like the bars would give me anxiety, and oh, yeah. and 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 the thought of the party, and and so it was tough, dude, in the beginning. But what what had happened is I, you know, I I uh, I dove into recovery in in such a manner that my I, I looked at it as if as if my life depended on it, and it did, you know, very much. But um, you know, we we get to a point where we don't want the people that love us hiding the bottle just because we're coming around. We look at it as as a hot flame for me, and I'm not gonna touch it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 insane that I would ever be in a position. Somebody that was dependent on alcohol, not only in 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 the the mental sense, but I was physically addicted. Like I would go into withdrawal without it, um, and to to be able to 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 look at it and and it means absolutely nothing. Like there's nothing enticing or or anything, man. I mean, it is what it is. It's a liquid that. You know, people either abuse or they don't. They they can they can manage. But for me, I don't work that way, man. Like yeah. like uh, once I take a drink or a drug, the obsession returns, and then I am I am I I succumb to the to the drink, man. And like I like I mentioned, I, I don't know if I mentioned I'm here, but uh, one's too many and a thousand's never enough. Yeah. So once I get one in me. A thousand is never enough. I can never get that. I can never satisfy. I, I constantly have to be under the spell. So, um, to like, you know, going to a bar doesn't affect me. I don't do it because that's not like really my flavor anymore. Yeah. But uh, I can go to things like that without having some kind of uh, some kind of uh, you know uh, urge to to drink. It just isn't there. Now, don't get me wrong. There's been times in in. Uh, in my recovery where the thought has crossed my mind, yeah. you know, very much, you know, the, the reminisce or, or the thinking, but, uh, it's short lived, you know what I mean? And, and, and really the recognizing, the recognizing that, okay, okay. So if I do drink, what's going to happen, I'm probably going to be day drinking the next day. 
That's how quick it is for me. I'm, and, and, and it's no lie, man. And, you know, my life has been, um, my life has been very interesting, man. And probably a lot of this you, you don't know, or, or even many people for that matter. But when I was 20, um, I was using drugs and alcohol, you know, I was dabbling in, in, uh, meth and, and, uh, drinking and, uh, essentially ruined the relationship between my daughter's mother and myself. Mm. All me, all me, man. Like I, you know, I was a liar, a cheat and a thief. And, uh, she had finally had enough and left my ass. And I, I tried to commit suicide. And, uh, so I, I tried to hang myself and, and she literally saved my life. She walked into the garage with my daughter in her, in her arms and saw me hanging there, kicked out, a uh, kicked off of a stool. Damn dude. And yeah, Dude, so so those those are some of kind of some of the things that that uh, I that I think about of where alcohol takes me, where drugs take me, because uh, I'll never forget the 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 look on Sandy's face when she put my daughter on the cold concrete floor to run towards me, and my daughter crawling towards me, completely flushed red and crying her eyes out because you know she was like less than a year old and she didn't know what the hell was going on, and uh, you know essentially Sandy saved me. Yeah. You know, and, and I want, I wound up in a, in a mental institution in Longview, Washington and I, and I sobered up and I got sober for a, an entire year. I, I ended up uh, moving back to the Dallas and, and getting into a recovery program and I sobered up Man, I was 20 years old. Um, I was feeling better. Life was getting better. I was, I was talking to Sandy. We were patching up a relationship, you know, and, and um, things were good, but yet a year later, after being sober, I decided that I was going to take a drink, you know, and I was going to drink normally, you know, the, the, the ideal that uh, we all, the, the average alcoholic has is that it's going to, I can maintain, I can do it. Yeah. You know, it, it's, I, I've had enough of a break that uh, I think that if I just drink once, you know, and then I can drink normally after that. And, and what had happened was completely op- the opposite, man. I, you know, I, I shared a six pack with a, a roommate of mine that was also in recovery. And within like a matter of two weeks, I was shooting methamphetamine, living in Portland again, Yeah, you know, homeless. Yeah. You know, so, so what I know about myself is that it's a progressive illness Yeah, and it doesn't matter if I stop it. When I pick it back up, it's, it's right where I left off and, and nine times out of 10, it's going to be way worse. Yeah. And so that little bit of piece of information was extreme is extremely valuable for me because when I, what I do know about myself is that I can't, I, I can't. I just can't, man. I, yeah. I I don't have the option because once I drink or drug, the option is taken away, and I'm back in it. Yeah. You know. So lo and behold, I went back out. I shot meth, but then had like an epiphany where I saw myself years later as a junkie, mm-hmm. and I and and the obsession. I never really had like the obsession for meth like some people do. Like I I used it and then met a a, a group of low lifes that shot it for me. I didn't have all the, like I, I couldn't rig it up myself or whatnot. I just had somebody do it for me. And I got so goddamn high that I wasn't coming down. And yeah. you know, there's people that cross the line and I had crossed that line long, long by, by then, you know, and, and there was no coming back. And I just, I had this epiphany that look, man, I like, I just, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to die a junkie. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, that's, that's what I saw. Like, that's what I envisioned. And, and so I stopped, but I continued to drink and I continued to use 
other illicits, you know, whatever, what, you know, ecstasy, yada, yada. And that, that was 10 years, yeah. you know, 10 years that I did that until, um, you know, uh, life was manageable and shit. And I, you know, I, I had a good job. I, I graduated college. So that was a great reason for an alcoholic to stay an alcoholic because I could, I could function. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, worthless in a sense. And, uh, so, you know, towards the end of my using and drinking, um, I had fallen about eight months until I got sober. I, I, I had started messing with, with heroin and that became the all too, man. It, 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 all of any kind of, so alcohol, what alcohol did to me, it made me really ill, right? In the sense that I, I always had heartburn. I was constantly sick. I was constantly like, like always like not, I just didn't feel good, you know? And I, yeah. it, it was always it, it just a shitty feeling. And then of course the hangover and everything else. And, and, and I found heroin and, and what that did is it, it, it absolutely melted away any of that, that pain. And, and I had found like the, the magic, dude, I found the magic pill in, in a sense. And, and so I started using this with, with a girlfriend of mine and, and her, uh, her mom was a mule. So she would run back and forth and constantly give us the, the, the contraband mm -hmm. and we were free to use and we used the shit out of it. And, uh, there was a time about, you know, six months into this it, it, because I, at that time I, I quit drinking. Like I didn't even need drink. Like, yeah. And, and that's kind of like, like how I managed to do what I did for so long because I would, I would use one substance and then I would change to another, and then I would change to another, but it would constantly come back as, as this vicious cycle, mm -hmm. right? And and so I'd found the, the magic, and uh, we had run out, and they had to go on a run, and I started to kick into withdrawal, and it was the most excruciating pain that I've ever felt, you know? And uh, I knew at that moment that I was fucked. Like, I knew at that moment that, that I was completely dependent yeah you know mentally emotionally physically i was dependent on the substance and in order for me to even feel normal i had to use it yeah and and i'll never forget you know my girlfriend finally walks in the door after being like two hours late and i'm curled up on a in a fetal position over a, a air vent and i'm crying dude i'm just body aches like i feel like the muscles are busting out of my my legs the bones are busting out of my legs uh, I just felt miserable. And as soon as she came up and gave me the pen and the pipe and I hit it, it was gone. And I knew, dude, I was like, I, I knew that I was fucked, man. I, I yeah. knew. And so what had happened was uh, I was working for the railroad or what, and uh, there was a guy that uh, I would party with every once in a while. And he had a drunken bout and tried to commit suicide drunk as fuck. They sent him to the hospital and then they shipped him off to rehab and he disappeared from work and he comes back about a month later and it was a completely different man. You know, he came back and he, he was full of life yeah. and, and I, you know, at the time I was using at work, you know what I mean? Like I was, I was, um, and, and I saw this and I, and, and, uh, you know, we conversed a little bit and he's like, yeah, man, like I just, uh, I feel so much better, man. I, like I can, I can live. You know, and, and he quit drinking. And I, I believe he's still sober to this day. But it, to me, it was like a, it was an influence. It, it was, 
it, it was like a like a, a a little spark of hope that shit, dude. If it could happen, because he was a fucking knockout, dead out drunk. You know what I mean? Like he come smell to work smelling like booze, just running out of his pores. And if it could happen for him, maybe it could happen for me. You know, I didn't know, but I was full of fear. Like I didn't, I didn't know what to do because, for one, I had a cat and I didn't want to leave him behind. You know what I mean? I had a job that that I, that I didn't want to lose. It's I had like a cat. A, you know what I mean? Yeah. And just all these senseless these senseless fears that that absolutely uh, consumed me and and it prevented me from from reaching out for help. And and the, so what I ended up doing is I went to my dad. And I, I sat him down and I said, look, dad, um, you know, I got to tell you, man, I, I uh, you know, in a very s- serious and sincere, you know, I'm, I'm addicted to heroin and I can't stop, you know, and, and I'll never, you know, my, my dad's, you know, one of the pinnacle people in my life that are, that, are, that are a piece of that story, of my story. And, and what I was kind of expecting was disappointment or, you know, something of that manner. And it was completely the opposite. You know, it was nothing but love and support. And he was like, Shane, we're going to, we're going to do this, man. We're going to get through this. And I, I can't tell you the, the tremendous amount of love that I felt. And that was a piece of me getting sober. Just simple words like that, a simple sit down. And so, um, I made a decision to, to, uh, talk to my boss and they, they pull in HR, the plant manager, the whole nine, and they're all sitting at this table. And I, I, I fess up to the same thing. And I was expecting the same kind of disapproval and, and disappointment. And it was exactly the opposite. They were like, we want you to get help. You know, we'll, we'll give you this option. Um, we'll, we'll give you medical leave until you can, you know, you, you seek out a treatment and you get better and you come back and you give us clean piss and we, we, we have a job waiting for you. And I can't tell you how important that was. Like it was, it was such a sigh of relief. And, uh, so October 31st on Halloween of 2014, I take my last hit of heroin and I check into to, uh, the Paul Treatment Center in Portland and uh, just terrified, dude. You know, the, the, uh, they put me in a detox and, uh, you know, I'm sitting there just, you know, just terrified. Like, like the, the withdrawal was already starting to set in. Yeah. And, and so the, the, the flu-like symptoms, except you times it by hundred dude because it's it's just terrible and uh i just remember uh look at like hearing a bunch of commotion outside because right across the street was a bar and people were in costumes they were having a good time hooting and hollering and i'm up here on this ledge of this window like fuck man i just want to go <laughs> yeah you know and and just fuck going through it man and you know the nurse uh would come in and take my vitals and all that and all that shit and i remember just begging her for suboxone it's it's like a uh it's like it, it prevents withdrawal yeah uh something to do with your opioid receptors or whatever but and she wouldn't let me have it for whatever reason and which is odd because you would think they would just dish it out like nobody's business but she wouldn't give it to me and um i think i like looking back on it now i if she didn't do what she did, I'd probably still be a junkie and, and you know what I'm saying? Like, like point blank, because what that does is, is it doesn't allow me to clean up. Yeah. It just, all it does is keep me in that thing, but I'm not, but I'm not high. And, and, and so, uh, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was a God thing, man. And, and, uh, so, so I remember going, you know, and I'm, throwing up and all this other shit and i remember pacing back and forth because i'm in this room by myself for five i think it was three days which is a long fucking time 
you know, no cigarette breaks. You were in a room in by a, yourself for three whole days. Three whole days. Yeah. It was like fucking jail, dude. Like it was, it was terrible. And, and so, and, and all the meanwhile with the flu, like yeah. sick as fuck. Yeah. And I, I remember pacing back and forth and, and, uh, on this bookcase, there was a, a, a Narcotics Anonymous book. And, and I remember, like, anytime I'd see it, I'd just, ugh. Like, it made me, like, physically sick to look at it. Because something inside me that looked back 10 years earlier to where I found a solution uh, was there. And it was like, I didn't want to look at it. I, di- I didn't want to go there because I knew that I would have to face my biggest fear, which was me. You know, and, and, and really look at myself and, and find truth. And I didn't want to see it, man. And so, uh, you know, I go through the motions and, and uh, I'll never forget this either. Like, like uh, they gave me like all these snacks and shit, Nutri-Grain bars, and I couldn't eat. I had no appetite. And so what I did, what I did is like, well, fuck, I'm going to, I'm going to shove these in my pillow. And when I get out of here, I'm going to go, I'm going to take them up to the residential and I'm going to, I'm going to feast, man, and hook up, hook up friends that I meet and whatever. And so I get the... They're they're getting ready to release me from detox, and I get this letter in big bold print. It says, "Do not bring anything from <laughs> detox to residential." No motherfucking Nutrigrain bars. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so I I do it anyway. The liar, the cheat, and the thief that I am. I I put it in a in a pillowcase and uh, I take it up with me. And uh, it was like when you go to residential, you you uh, you meet like all the. It was like fifty guys all in in one building one floor of the building and you have like two to you have one to two roommates and i was lucky enough to get two roommates that turned out to be really good friends and uh they didn't know but we all had to like ship off to go to like the class we go through classes and all this other stuff which is very helpful i'm, I'm not doing that to to uh, diss it at all it was it was uh, it was exactly what i needed at the time but uh they go to take off and i and i thought well i'm not gonna put these anywhere around me because if they come search our room, because I know that they search them, I don't want them to find them on me because I'll get in trouble. So I put them behind my roomie's dresser, between the wall and the dresser. And so it's stacked, dude, all these all these Nutri-Grain bars. <laughs> and I take off. And, you know, later on in the day, the day goes on and, and I get back. My, both my roomies are sitting in the room and and uh, I notice that they're gone. I'm like, what? Dude, they fucking searched it and they... And so I, I tell my roomie this and he's like, what? He's like, dude, that's my dresser. They're going to blame it on me. And I already got two strikes. And, and I was like, no. And I, I didn't want him to get kicked out. Right. So this was like a, a breakthrough moment for me. And, and I, so I marched down this hall with my head down and, you know, just contemplating, all right, I'm going to get in trouble, but I need to face this. I don't want my roomie getting in trouble. And so I go up to the counter and, and there's this uh, melee counselor. And I said, look, man. You know, all those Nutri-Grain bars and, and, and all that stuff that you guys found is, is mine. And uh, the guy looks me dead in the face and he says, dude, we didn't find any Nutri-Grain bars. But I, I don't know what you're talking about, bud. <laughs> so my roomies robbed my ass is what, oh, I'm, is what, I, is what I'm thinking. And, and so here I am, like, like, like ready to, to uh, take the heat. And uh, he's like, you know, he's laughing. He's like, dude, we didn't take anything, man. And so, like, the next day... I, they put this little stick, like this little note on my door and it was like a kudos note. And he wrote on there, he wrote, he wrote, thank you for your rigorous honesty, stud. 
and he, he, and he signed his name. And I can't tell you how, how, how much that meant to me because I was like being rigorously honest, I was willing to put myself on the line to, to take ownership of take what I did. Right. Yeah. And, and to, to do that and for somebody to recognize it and say that rigorous honesty, uh, it was, it was huge for me, man. It was huge. And, and so, you know, that was like a, that was like a start of the change. And, and so, you know, here it is, like, I think it was like my fifth night in treatment and I'm still going through the withdrawals. That shit was still going on. I was just not in detox. And, um, I just remember, dude, like, like as plain as day, man, like, so the night before I woke up and, uh, in the middle of the night, I, 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 like I slept for like 20 minutes, maybe because I, I was so restless, so irritable, so discontent. And um, I had marched down the hall because like everything in me said run, like I just run, just leave, go get, go find a dope dealer somewhere and go get high. Yeah. And and so, um, you know, and I'm I I'm just crawling out of my skin and I and I go up to this this gal and she was a a nighttime uh, counselor, and I just tell her what I'm going through. You know, I'm like fuck, dude. I like I I, I just I, I can't do this. Like I like I I have to leave. And she's like just just sit down, right? just sit down with us. And she grabs two other people. And there was one other guy that was one of the patients, one of the rehab patients. And he was out there while, while I come out there and, and we all sit in a circle and they start sharing like their stories. And it was fucking magic, dude, because all of that craziness, all of the, the insanity for that brief moment in time was gone. Like the pain and everything, the, the, the upset stomach, the muscle aches, like it was gone because what these people were doing was was sharing their experience, strength, and hope, and and it it, it totally it, it was like medicine, dude. And so I like felt better, and I'm like, thank you guys for doing this, man. And and I went and and took a shower and tried to sleep, maybe got like 20 minutes. But the next day, I still feel like shit. And nighttime comes, and uh, I'm just, dude, I, like the same thing. It came back. Like I'm 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 feeling awful, and. Uh, I go to the counselor and I said, hey, there's a there's an NA book in my detox room. Would you be willing to, to get that for me? And she said, let me see what I can do. And she gave me the, she got me this book. And it's a book I've never opened before. I was I was uh, I was used to to the other version of NA, which is, you know, but uh, but uh, anyways, I open this thing and I start reading it. And and what I what I come to realize is all the insanity that I've lived my entire life was not just me. Like it like other people experienced this. This hell, you yeah. know? And and it was like I could immediately relate. It was like language that that I spoke. It was it was it was like Like you wrote it. Like somebody that knew me wrote it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it was it was it was my language. And and I remember just just absolutely so uh I, I, at that moment, I surrendered like I've never surrendered in my life to the to the to the to the point where like something something had come over me. And, you know, I think of it as a God experience. You know, years later, I, I kind of the, the, the scientific me like kind of wants to look back on it and say, well, maybe like I was hyperventilating and I had like this this extraordinary experience. But what I felt was like this numbness come over me that is like unexplainable. Nothing any drug could ever do. And, and, and basically what I'm doing is I'm looking up into the universe and saying, fucking God help me. And, and if 
the universe didn't open up and and put its grace and love on me i don't know what did but like at that moment all of this all of this stuff that i had gone through all of the pain all of the torture all of the guilt all of this stuff was washed out of me from my head to my toes and it literally like in a, in a in a like a vibration type of scenario where like it dude it's wild it, like i like it's wild i i can't really like truly explain what the hell was going on but what i do know is that from that moment on i knew that that there was some type of god that was real and i knew that there was hope for me and i felt better mm-hmm. you know all of that pain all of the the withdrawal all of those was gone was completely gone you know and and so i wake up the next day and i'm just fucking the old butterfly Irvin, you know just <laughs> floating around dude yeah. like high on life like like things are going to get better you know and and um at the same time of being that way, like like with that kind of attitude, it, it was infectious. So like the people around me and the roommates were like getting happier and like like yeah, yeah like this is, you know, and and so it just became like this, this brotherhood in there, you know, that was that was uh, that was pretty special, man. And and so I did the I did the legwork through through treatment. I was in there for like a like twenty five days or something like that. And I get out and I just fucking hit the floor running, dude. I I, I took. Every measure, basically, like this was the best suggestion that I've ever taken in my life. And basically what I had to do was change one thing, right? And that was everything. I had to change everything. The yeah. people, the places, the things, the relationships. Like I had to, I had to cut the ties with the ex-girl or with the girlfriend. I had to change everything. I had to change the people I surrounded myself with. And that's exactly what I did. And I, I started uh, getting into the, this fellowship type of deal that just changed the game, dude. You know, it changed the game for me. And, and uh, the biggest the biggest magic about it all is not only that it saved me and my family and, and you know, and, and, and made it made me able to create a, a healthy relationship with my daughter and other people. But it also helps people in the, at the same time, you know. Yeah, dude, that's a powerful story. I mean, that is helpful to anyone going through what you went through or trying to make a change or or do anything that's beneficial to their life yeah it's a terrible place to be man yeah and so when i see you know homeless or or people that are not enough or even people that you know come around and are not enough that that are looking for help but they can't get it my heart goes out to them yeah because i understand man i understand dude because you reach a point you can't you can't control it right and i don't think a lot of people understand that that's all you need that's all you want and yeah it supersedes everything. Yeah. Everything. That, you know, people, people like talk in judgment, like how could you, you know, how could you uh, abandon your kid or, 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 you know, give up what you had or, and, and, and the simple answer is, is that, you know, if they had a choice, they would have picked the family, you know what I mean? But the, but the, the, the drug is so powerful and, and, and such a, a, a mental twister that those things, like the compassion and the empathy and the the, the being a father, don't exist. They yeah. they don't exist. Yeah. What exists is your constant need and want for the fix. You know, so it's it's sad. It's really sad. You know, because in a sense, the kids and the the family they lose somebody they love and they 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 literally watch them die. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, so it's a scary thing. Yeah. You know. But uh. uh you know. Like I, I look at like my life today and 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 think about how truly lucky I am because it, it's a very select few that actually get away from it and don't go back to it. Yeah. 
you know, I'll never be cured. It, it's, it's, it's just uh, what it is. And I accept that fully. And, and I know that I have to, to, to uh, participate in recovery in order to maintain sobriety. Right. And so like that inventory we were talking about earlier, where I have to look at my inventory. Did I hurt anybody else? Mm -hmm. Did I affect others? I have to do that on a regular. And if I'm wrong, I have to admit it promptly and like take care of the situation. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, uh, I'm not a religious buff by any means, but I, I definitely believe in, in something way bigger than myself. Yeah. And there's some magic out there, you know, and, and everybody deserves a piece of that pie. Um, so I continually seek it through my own, uh, my own channel with, you know, prayer and meditation, dude, is, yeah. is what it comes down to. And, and, and it, you know, I'm not praying to Jesus or Buddha or any of this stuff. It's, it's a personal relationship with the God of my understanding. I, you know, I, when I was, what were we like 15 when Kyle Christensen killed himself? I forgot about that till you just said that. Yeah. yeah. And, and he, uh, him and him and I got baptized. We were in like a youth group in our, in our young, like 12 years old. And, and, uh, I remember my ideology of God was was tarnished when he killed himself because the whole idea was like people would say that if you kill yourself, you're automatically signing up for hell. And I refuse to believe that because I, I know what he was going through. I talked to him the night before he killed himself and he was going he was addicted to methamphetamine and there was no turning back, dude. Like, you know, and and uh, I understand the pain that he was going through, but. But in my eyes, like I, I kind of, like I, I, I couldn't believe that people that believe in a god like that exists because that's bullshit. You know, he yeah. was he was living hell on earth, and if anything, he's resting in in eternity and and universe and love now. You know. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of little things that get tied up in religion that shouldn't exist. You ultimately have to be at peace with yourself. Right? Totally. Totally. That's the ultimate. No one knows what's going to happen. You, all you get is the years you get here, and you just got to find a way to be at peace with yourself. And it sounds like you did that, dude. Dude, it, <laughs> that's crazy, it, man. It, it's a daily reprieve, though. That bro. is crazy. It, it's a, it's a daily reprieve, man. Like like I'm I I cannot boast or any of that shit because the fact is is that I'll always be an addict. I'll always be an alcoholic. Um. If I decide to take a drink or a drug, it, it's game over for me, man. Yeah. You know, and uh, I thank God that I know that about myself. But the the biggest magic, man, is 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 some of the experiences that I have in in sobriety is just better than any drug could ever give me. Yeah. You know, and and uh, it, it's just incredible the, the relationships with some of the most genuine genuine people I've ever met in my life that I'm I can be friends with today, and and uh, we. You know, we have we have a damn good time and we're always laughing and loving and, and playing, man, and, and uh so you know, the support, you know, and, and uh it's just dude, it's it's something that I never envisioned being possible because of the way that we grew up. Yeah. Of the way that uh you know, my ideology and my outlook on life. And so th this is this is the cool thing, right? I didn't have to do much work because all the people that I hung out with were in it for them. You know what I mean? That the the true friendships didn't exist. And so when I got sober and people got the word out that I was getting sober, those supposed friends just magically disappeared. Yeah. And so it was super 
grateful. The real friends that hung around that would actually, they would hang out with me and not drink and shit, even though they drank all the time, was like real. Like that's that's what true friendship is, man. Like yeah. these these guys are willing to put their neck out for me and uh, they don't have to. And and so you really like find out who's who's real and who's not. Yeah. And then, you know, and then of course, like, like the people that you meet in, in a, in recovery is, is, is your new family, you know, your, your friends and family. And it's, it's, I, I couldn't be more grateful, you know, I couldn't. So, and, and they taught me how to live. They taught me how to be a parent. You know, yeah. I've, I've learned to, uh, I've learned, I've learned how to be a man, you know, out of something as simple as one person talking to another, like you and I. And sharing their experience, strength, and hope, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, God, if I didn't have that experience that I did of all the garbage and the dirt and the mayhem and the ruckus, then I wouldn't be where I am. Yeah, you know what I mean. Something would have happened along the way where I would probably be drinking normally, but not having the the quality of life that I have today. Yeah. You know, so yeah, dude, um, I cannot think of a better way to end it. Uh, I was not expecting that. That was really cool. So, right on, uh, I'm glad that you shared that, um, from my first time hearing it and everybody else's. So dude, that's really cool. Heck yeah. All right, man.